Genesis, we're going to look at Genesis 24 all the way to 28. Of course, not verse by verse, but we need that section because we're going to be looking to Rebecca. The message is entitled, Rebecca, don't go there. Mothers are the greatest thing in the world. Without them, society would be a mess and children would suffer the greatest loss. Paul declared the creative order of God, as you know, to 1 Corinthians 11, 7, 9, he says, For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. For man is not from the woman, but the woman from the man. Nor was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. God's creative order of male and female in their own order and distinctive design and purpose for marriage to be honorable and efficient. There can only be one head. The husband's the head of, of the family. There can only be one helpmate. That's the wife. There can only be one institution that makes them one. Marriage. There is never any attempt or intent to make the woman a servant, a sex slave, or insignificant partner or inferiority. Instead, its intent is to establish a proper place and honor and place a responsibility in marriage as well as her husband to ensure the most efficient and effective outcome for the family and society. We want to look to Rebecca, the wife of Isaac, learning from both her strengths and weaknesses in order to better our marriages. Um, let's examine Rebecca through a threefold lens that will mine some of these golden nuggets for us. We want to look at Rebecca the bride, then Rebecca the wife, and finish with Rebecca the mother. All three aspects are uh, revealed to us. We begin here in chapter 24 of Genesis, Rebecca the bride. Rebecca was sought out by Abraham in obedience to God's word. The first four verses of Genesis 24. In verse 1 and 2, Abraham, well advanced in years, uh, and blessed by God, um, he's old now, and he sends his oldest servant, his name's Eliezer, to take an oath according to the custom. Please put your hand under my thigh, and put it by his leg, and take an oath, and he would be bound by that oath. In verse 3, Abraham had him swear by Yahweh, the God of heaven and earth, that he would not take a wife for Isaac from the daughters of the Canaanites. Not the Palestinians, the Canaanites. That's the name of the land. Canaan, all right? And in verse 4, Abraham would send him his, to his country and his family to take a wife for Isaac. Simple principle that Paul speaks to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6 is, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. If you're a young man, young lady, you have no business dating a person who's not a Christian. Not at all. Let alone enter into relationship or marriage or engagement. Real simple, okay? Now, as you go down to verse 10 to 14, Rebecca was aligned with God's leading. Notice, in verse 10, Eliezer set up Mesopotamia to the city of Naor. The father of Rebekah lived there. Remember, Abraham came from there. And in verse 11, Eliezer arrived in the evening. He made his camels to kneel down, the whole bunch of them, by the city well where the women come out to draw water. When you get to verse 12 and 13, Eliezer praised 
for God to guide him. He's going all along, seeking God's direction. He says, give success this day to show kindness to his master, to show him the right young woman. He's trusting God to direct and guide him here. Eliezer prayed very specifically, notice, not a general prayer, as he went to the well of water where the young woman came in verse 14. Notice he says, now it came to be that the young women to whom I say, the young woman they say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink and I will also give your camels drink. Let him, let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Very specific. It's not like, you know, Lord, if it's you that's speaking to me, let the phone ring in the next three months at least one time. Okay? People pray like that. Don't laugh at it. They do when they want their way. Okay? Very specific. Now, verse 15, Elijah prays and he gets answered. It came to pass that before he had finished speaking, before he finished his prayer. And behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Micah, the wife of Nair, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now, I wish that God would answer me that quickly all the time. He doesn't. This is one of those instances he did. Okay? And the young woman was both beautiful and virtuous in verse 16. Now, the young woman was very beautiful. And behold, a virgin... No man had known her, and she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. Rebecca, at this point, let Eliezer drink and gave all the camels to drink according to the prayer that he had prayed very specifically. And gives her a nose ring, as we'll see, and bracelet, asking whose daughter she was. And she says in verse 17 through 25, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Melchah's son, whom she bore to Naor and offered him lodging. All this is going on. God's directing. Eliezer bows down. Here's the response of the servant in verse 26 and 27. He bows down and worships and blesses God for having led him. Ladies, you as mothers, you're there at home with the kids. You're doing this. You're doing that. We're at work. We're oblivious to all that's going on. And you see God working in many ways and everything. Don't forget to worship him. Sometimes you can get so overtasked that all you do is you say, why me? But remember, God made no mistake. We're totally different. Husbands cannot be moms. They can come in and step in and help. But moms can only be moms. Moms cannot be dads, but they can step in and help. But dads are to be dads, right? Two different roles. Compliments. Verse 28 through 58, Rebecca then was willing to go to Isaac. We're given here. Now, this whole interlock's going in. He's coming in. Now, this is going on. In 28 through 48, Eliezer recounts the mission and God's guidance to Rebecca, to the family, to Uncle Laban. Verse 43, he declared her as betrothed and a spouse in the accounting of the story as God's choice now. When he's retelling this, for the word virgin there in 43 is the word Alma, a young chaste woman who is engaged. The word virgin in verse 16 is Bethula, a young virgin, never known a man, but single. 
Two different words for virgin. The Old Testament, okay? It matches up with Mary's engaged, the espousal betrothal, okay? It lines up perfectly. Now, notice in 49 to 51, Eliezer demanded Bethuel's answer about God choosing Rebekah for Isaac if he was going to accept the betrothal. There's a choice here. Now, I want you to understand, as we go through all this mess and that, there's certain things that God says is going to happen and nothing can stop them, but he gives freedom of choice of people. So nothing that we do will, will, will interrupt the ultimate fulfillment of God in certain things, but we can mess up our life. Am I clear on that? All right? It's not going to stop the second coming, but it is going to affect my life. So we have to think. In verse 49, Eliezer says, Now if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or the left hand. So he's the servant. He's coming. He said, this is all God. This is what's happened. This is what it is. Now, you have the final choice. If not, I'm gone. In verse 50 and 51, Laban, and he's a rat. We'll see you afterwards. And Bethuel, they answer. The thing comes from the Lord Yahweh. We cannot speak to you either good or bad. Here is Rebecca before you. Take her and go and let her be your master's son's wife as the Lord Yahweh has spoken. Sounds great. Eliezer gives gifts in verse 52 to 58 to everyone. Celebrate all night. They eat, they drink, they're ready to leave in the morning. They don't want to be delayed. In verse 52, notice his gratefulness. And it came to pass when Abram's servant heard their words that he worshipped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. In the midst of all these things, this servant understands this is God's doing. Okay? This is no coincidence or nothing else. And he gives God his right place. Very important. That's for husbands. That's for wives. That's for mommies. That's for dads. That's for single people or whatever. In 53 and 54, he gave the gifts. They celebrated and they were going to depart in the morning. But now I'm 55 and 56. Laban, which is the brother of Rebekah, and their mother tried to delay them for a few days. Eliezer um, said, Do not hinder me, since the Lord Yahweh has prospered my way. Send me away so that I may go to my master. You be careful of people stopping you from obeying God when you know God is directing and guiding you, whether it be family or anybody else. Very important. Emotions run high. Family pressure comes in. You have to obey God. Look at 57 and 58. They persisted in their request. Flesh is flesh. It never gives up. So they said, we will call the young woman. And ask her personally. <laughs> what happened to her? Oh, it's God's way. Yeah, go ahead and take her. Then they called Rebecca and they said to her, Will you go and be with this man? And she said, I will go. Wow. Grab that one. Don't let her go. Man. She's never seen this guy. All she's known is the one she just said no to. When Jonathan Edwards was asked 
by a young man for the hand of his daughter. He responded, no. The young man said, why? He says, there are some people that only the Holy Spirit can live with. Whoa, Jackson. She must have been quite a gal. Hmm. Young men, make sure you're not just looking or seeking a bride. Make sure God is leading you. As singles are saved out of the world and singles are raised in the church, they know that fornication is wrong. And so sometimes they come to the conclusion and say, well, I, I might as well just get married. No, that, that's, that's not a good conclusion. The only problem with that mentality is that you're only making provisions for your flesh in the immediate present without considering the long-term problems that you will incur. You're really looking to marriage for you. Rather than looking for the right person, you need to make sure you're preparing yourself to be the right person. Very important. Today in a lot of churches, it's just a meat market. You got the singles ministry? It's a meat market. We don't have a singles ministry. You come out of high school? Jump into the women's study, into the men's study. We don't want to leave a gap for you to be carnal. You don't need that. You need to be godly. All right? Proverbs 19.14 says, Houses and riches are inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Amen. What a blessing it is to have a godly wife. One from the Lord. Young people, make sure the one you consider for marriage is born again. A godly person. Too often a person is merely concerned with looks and ignoring the spiritual qualities. Now, there's nothing wrong with looks, but if that's all you're looking for, you're going to regret it. Because looks don't last. Godliness does. When you consider marriage, be honest with each other and honorable. Uh, when you're dating someone, and dating in Christianity is far different than the world, and you enter that relationship, then you know that you're going to get married, then be honest with each other. So you can diffuse anything that would bring regret or any offenses and make your marriage unstable. Prior to commitment to marriage, it's nobody's business about your past. Are we clear on that? Feel simple. But be honorable and wise. Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Ladies, you are given such an honorable and important place in society that it's incredible. I don't see how anybody can read the Bible and think that, that Christian men think that women are just their slaves. They, they haven't read the whole book. Young people, make sure the person you consider for marriage understands and agrees with the biblical design in order for a wife, husband, and family. Because... If they don't, and there's a lot of Christians in the church that they're godly, this and that, but they don't agree with the priorities of the Bible. They have the principles and priorities of the world that were equals and, 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 and this and that, and women can do anything a man can. Not what the Bible says. Feminism, toss it out. 
Woman godliness, bring it in. Big difference. The husband's the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. It's an honorable position. It's a beautiful position. The wife is a helpmate. My wife completes me. You guys get the benefit of all that I do, but it's my wife that has allowed me to be able to study, to be gone, to do this while she's taking care of the kids growing up and everything else. She's the one that's going to get all the credit. She's demonstrating her love for you through these 30-some, almost 40 years. It's the women. Submission is mutual in the fear of God. Ephesians 5.21 the husband to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Ephesians 5.25. The love of God that joins us together. The institution of marriage. It's not till we don't feel like being married. It's for life. Till death. That's it. So before you pick that mug. Make sure it's the right one. Because you're going to roll over in bed. And that's the one that's going to be there. All right. Remember, we start like raisins, we end up, I mean, we start like grace, we end up like raisins, okay? You remember that, all right? Um, bananas, green, yellow, spotted, all right? That's the way it is. Proverbs twelve four says, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who causes shame is like rottenness to his bones. Listen to me, single people. There's only one thing worse than being single and wishing you were married. Being married and wishing you were single. Be careful. Rebecca, the bride was chosen by God. Second moves into the wife now. In chapter 24, verse 64 to 67, Rebecca began a relationship in an honorable in caring way. Now watch. As a bride. Good. But she didn't stay there. So you can start good. All these things are not to condemn us. All these things are to warn us. These are actual people. This is real life. Okay. This is not Hollywood. Okay. This is reality. Rebecca. In verse 64 and 65. Arrives. Uh, on the journey there. She saw Isaac from afar off. He's coming in from the field. And uh, she sees her future husband. He's told by the servant of Eliezer. And in respect, she, dishonor, she, uh, she dismounts and honors him by dismounting and veiling her face. In modesty. In 66, Rebecca was affirmed to be the one God chose for Isaac as Eliezer recounted all the things which made all the difference in a lifetime commitment. If you... Walk with God and you go step by step and you wait for him, confirm and affirm things. Then you're not going to have regrets. You're not going to get weirded out. Emotions, there'll be some there. If you think that I've been throwing up tulips all the days of my life being married, you're crazy. But we're committed. We know what God says. You understand? It's not based on feelings, emotions, circumstances. Not at all. In verse 67, Isaac took Rebekah as his wife now. He consummated the marriage there. Verse 67, then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. 
she became a strength to him. 67. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. What a strength, what a comfort it is to have a godly woman next to you and to be there through the thick and thin, through the different things. It's just, there's no way to explain it. In chapter 25 now, verse 20 through 29, Rebekah bore Isaac two sons with difficulty. Rebekah was barren for 20 years. So when you look at the numbers in verse 20 and 26, here Isaac was 40 when he married her, and in verse 26, he's 60 when they're born. 20 years. Now, you know that a woman being barren was, meant that she had this favor with God. Every one of the wives of the patriarch were barren. Is that weird? No, because God wanted to let them know that it was him who gave the children and was in control of the line. Wow. Isaac interceded for Rebekah from verse 21 to 24. And God heard him and twins were born to them. The Lord told her there were two nations. Look at verse 23. Two nations. The Lord said the older would serve the younger and they were born. Verse 23 and 24. Keep that in mind. What God has just revealed. The boys were named by the condition of their birth in 25 and 26. First Esau, and the first came out red. He is like a hairy garment all over. So they call his name Esau, hairy. That's what it means. And red laid around through the lenses and all that. So probably redhead. He is a hairy little guy. They just grabbed him and then pulled him up and put a diaper underneath him. Hairy little fuzzball. The second, 26, afterwards his brother came out and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac, they're 60 years old when they were born. Jacob means surplanter, deceiver, contriver, flim-flam man, con artist. Welcome to your twin and mine. Wow. When you keep going in Genesis, and then you're going to hear where Jacob meets the angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ, and he touches the hollow of his side. He changed his name to Israel, governed by God. From that point on, when you see him in, identified as Jacob, he's walking in the flesh. When he's Israel, he's walking in line with God. Ooh, be careful. Now, the persons... Jacob and Esau are types of the flesh and spirit. Paul interprets them as God's national election for Israel. In contrast to Edom. In Romans chapter 9. Not like the Calvinists teach. They teach chapter 9 of Romans for individual predestination for salvation. That is totally dishonest and they know that. It's talking about national Choosing of Israel over Edom, Esau. Paul is quoting Malachi, and Malachi is quoting Genesis 25. They're very dishonest in the exposition. It has nothing to do with the predestination for salvation. It has to do with national choosing. Israel over Edom. 
Now, look at 27 and 28. Isaac and Rebekah favored a son each, which affected their home. Ooh, this is, this is the apple of your eye. Their distinctions are noted. Notice in 27, so the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a wild, wild man, uh, or a mild man, dwelling in the tents. He was a mama's boy. Okay? He wore an apron. Verse 28, their divisiveness was magnified, listen, by their parents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. And Rebekah loved Jacob. But it's a contrast. Not good. The boys' prophetic disposition became evident as they grew. Look at 29 to 34. 29 to 30, the setting is given to us. Now Jacob cooked the stew. Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Weary means he was faint, exhausted. He wasn't dying. The cunning negotiator, Jacob, he says, But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright, dude. As this day, he's an opportunist. The carnal value over the spiritual value is noted in 32. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me? Oh, the master of the deal, Jacob. And Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. The sealing of the deal comes in 34. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose and went his way. And Esau despised his birthright. Despise means he held that in contempt and disdain, being concerned more about the here and now, the physical needs and emotions, rather than the spiritual things that are eternal. Be careful of that. Now, when you get to verse 1 through 11 of chapter 26, keep all this in mind. This is all background. It's going to come back to us. Rebecca became security for Isaac. We get a shot of her bride here as a wife. In verse 1 through 5, Rebecca saw Isaac's obedience during the famine that had taken place, just like in the days of Abraham. And he went to the Philistines in Gerar to Abimelech, but he didn't go to Egypt in obedience to God. So she sees him going through difficult times, and she sees his obedience to God and his care for her and faithfulness, trusting God. That's good. But in verse 6 through 9, Rebecca saw the lack of trust in God by him as he passed her off as his half-sister. Verse 6 and 7, Isaac feared for his life at Gerard due to her beauty as his father Abram had done with Sarah in Egypt. I mean, ladies, you're out at dinner. Your husband's ex-girlfriend comes over. He says, who's the babe? Oh, she's my sister. Is that going to flow with you? (laughs) (laughs) 
We read these things, we don't... This is real life. It's not good for him. I'm sure that um, she never forgot this, and I'm sure it cost him. Isaac was found out to be a liar by Abimelech now in verse 8. As he's looking through a window and saw Isaac showing endearment to his wife. He's a peeping Tom. And whatever he was doing to her, you don't do to your sister. In verse 9, Isaac was rebuked then by the pagan Abimelech. The Abimelech called Isaac and said, quite obviously, she's your wife. So how could you say she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, because I said, lest I die on account of her. He feared man greater than God. He tried to be in control. God told him, don't go down to Egypt. I'm going to take care of you. And so she sees when he is a godly man making right decisions, but also when he fails. This is part of marriage. This is real life, ladies and gentlemen. You don't, you don't bail out when you make mistakes or you fail each other. You sit down, you acknowledge what's going on, you pray to God to give you wisdom, and you fix it together. In verse 10, Isaac was rebuked for jeopardizing them. As Abimelech said, what is this that you have done to us? One of the people might have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt on us. It's it's sad day when the non-believer rebukes the believer. It happens all the time, especially today. And Isaac was exposed also by Abimelech in verse 11. So Abimelech charged all his people saying, He who touches his man and his wife shall surely be put to death. I'm sure he had heard about Abraham. He knew about Abraham. I'm sure he knew about the account down with Sarah in Egypt. He says, I don't want to mess with their God. Wow. Oswald Chambers declared that marriage is one of the peaks on which God's thunder blasts souls to hell or on which his light transforms and transfigures human lives into heaven. Hmm. Marriage is the final Marriage is the final test. (laughs) It will show you what a creep you are. You think you're so hot when you're single. You know, everything's so neat. You know, you you like the fonts. Yeah, you know, what the heck. And then all of a sudden, here's this handsome guy or this stone fox. And you say, oh, man, this and that. And, And you, all of a sudden, things start going wrong. And you say, you know, doggone it. I never had any of these problems. It must be because of her. Because I was good before. Or because of him, right? No, God brings that person to show you what a creep you are. How selfish you are. How self-centered you are. How carnal you are. Because he wants to fix you. Wow. Heat reveals everything. Marriage, uh, in the truest sense, makes... Us complete and content, knowing your mate is always there for you. What a 
What a strength that is. And no matter what you're going through, you know your husband or wife is there. Always. You can express your deep concerns and fears without reservations. You have a peace and contentment knowing just that they're in the house, they're in the room. As you crawl into bed and you just put your arm over and you know they're there, it's just such a peace, such a contentment, such a joy. You see, this is what God intends. Proverbs 31, 10 says, Who can find a virtuous wife for her worth is far above rubies? I mean, rubies are value, valuable, but they, they hold nothing to you, ladies. Nothing. You are the icing on the cake. In fact, that was one of the titles in Genesis. <laughs> this would be a boring place without you. Absolutely black and white. Marriage will bring about children, but the children should never be placed above the husband or wife. Very important. Wives, be loyal and faithful and committed to your husband as a helpmate. Husband, the same with you or your wife, being that head, giving direction, protection, provision. When you make decisions, when you have things to discuss, you do not discuss them or argue before the children. You know the difference. They see you as one. We'll talk about it later. You discuss it alone. You make the decision together. You come before your children as one. And even though your children may know that you as a mom don't agree totally with your husband, you're there as one, and if they confront you, you remind them. Your dad is the head of his home. This is God's order. Wow. Unity. Stability. Favoritism of children will divide the children and put them at odds with each other. You will magnify the differences in your children. Favoritism of children will divide the parents and put them at odds with each other. Husbands, you must protect your wife against your children. <laughs> they will try to divide you. And they will try to abuse your bride more so the older they get. Especially boys. But then they have to look at dad. That's why God puts a dad in the home. Boys have a big mouth against mommies when they get to be 13, 14, 15, 16. But not before dad. Fear of God, fear of dad. Great balance. And ladies, please, please be faithful snitches. When your children come and say, oh, mom, don't tell dad. I'll take the trash. I'll clean up. I'll do this. No, you be faithful. You tell your husband so he deals with the issues at home and you don't let your children work you. One time my son got in some trouble at high school. Um, I was gone, mission trip, and um, X brought some of his friends home as usual, and um, they're all there, and they're saying, Ah, oh, Mrs. V, your mom's cool. She's not going to tell your dad. You're not going to tell his dad. Mrs. Reese goes, No, you're right. I'm, I'm not going to tell him. X is going to tell him. 
Your children must know that you are one. They cannot divide you. They cannot manipulate you. Ladies, you have to put a double guard there because you are moved by your emotions and your feelings. Moms are the protectors of children and dogs. Okay? <laughs> Be careful. Your children are not your mate. They're going to leave overnight. Sooner than you can imagine, they're gone. Then it's you and your husband or your wife. If you have not cultivated your relationship as your children are growing and the priorities not given to each other in the right balance and priorities, when the kids are gone, you have nothing in common. The greater divorce today is after the children are grown up. Because everybody's investing time in their children or in themselves. That's not to be as Christians. Not at all. Genesis 2.18 says, The Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Thank God for that. Hmm. Now you know that marriage is not perfection. What we're reading, these are the patriarchs. Blood and guts. Ladies, your husband is going to fill you. His shining armor is going to reveal the kinks and chinks and things and cracks and everything else. It won't take long. Gentlemen, your wife is not always going to be as agreeable and as pleasant as when you dated her. This is what happens when God dares to put two sinners under the same roof. Unless you walk with God and put on the armor and die to self, you will mess each other up. Not one good thing is in me. Not one. Reckoning that old man dead, Romans 6, 6, and 11, every day. So Rebecca, the wife, though chosen by God, directed her own life. Started well, but she made some decisions. Which brings us to Rebecca, the mother then. In chapter 27, that's where we pick her up next, verses 1 through 13. Rebecca became a bad example by her deceit towards her husband. In 1 through 4, Isaac was old, his eyes were dim. So he called Esau to go hunt and bring him his favorite dish so that he might pass the blessing to him before he died. In 5 through 7, Rebekah was listening, eavesdropping. She's plotting a plan to thwart Isaac's plan and deceive him. So she spoke to Jacob and declared her father's intent. In verse 8 through 10, Rebekah then commanded Jacob, to obey her voice and get her two kids of the goats and she would prepare him his favorite dish the way he loved them and then he would be able to take the dish in to his father before Esau got back. Wow. 11 through 12, Jacob fearfully objected. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy dude. And I'm a smooth-skinned man. 
Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him and I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. Wow. Listen to Rebecca. Rebecca abused and manipulated the love of her son for her own end and purposes. But, contrast, but his mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them for me. Oh, no, 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 no. Your mother, your father tells you something that you know is unbiblical. You say, Mom, I, I can't do that. I won't do that. Husbands and wives, whatever it is. You don't obey your pastor. You don't obey the elders. You don't obey no one but God. Very important. She allowed her love for her son to become greater than her faithfulness for her husband. How, how, how does this happen? One step at a time. Favorites. This, that. Said I was a sister. And all these little things keep piling up. And you don't deal with them. The name Rebecca means a noose to tie like at the hoof of the animal seat. Her name literally means ensnarer. Ooh. Look at chapter 27, verse 14 through 29. Rebecca became a bad example, tempting her son Isaac to sin. It's progressive. Every one of these red flags got a saying, back off. It's still a doable thing. It's bad, but not that bad. We can take care of this. Remember David? Looked at the woman. Went in, started thinking about her. Called her. Laid with her. A red flag every time. Jacob in verse 14 through 17. Went along with the plan to deceive and Rebecca disguised him and put him on the clothes of Esau, his brother, and some skins of the kids of the goat, and his hands and the smooth part of his neck. And then she gave him the food to go in. And then in 1819, Jacob went in to lie and deceive to his father by impersonating his brother Esau. He's just getting deeper and deeper. We all remember being in the world. And even though we were dead, spiritually, we got into things and there, were, and, and there was a, I don't, and, and, and you'd say, well, I, I think I can, and then you're in it a little further. He greeted his father in verse 18. So he went to his father and said, my father. And he said, here am I. Who are you, my son? He vocalized. Now his deception. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. Keep compounding. Sin is like a choo-choo train. You keep hooking little cars to it. Look at 20. He even involved the Lord. In his deceit. 
But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord your God brought it to me. Whoa, you're getting deep. Isaac asked to touch him now. Verse 21 through 24, which must have terrified him. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So the old man's got cataracts, and, but he, he's still hearing something weird here. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is of Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of, my, of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. Then he said, are you really my son Esau? He said, I am. Wow. Every red little flag, you keep grieving, you're getting closer to destruction. 25 through 26, Isaac then requests the food. He said, bring it near me. And I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it to him and he ate and he brought him wine and drank. And his father Isaac said to him, come near now and kiss me, my son. Oh, he must have freaked out. Jacob, in verse 27, reaches here the point of no return. And he came near and kissed him. And he smelled the smell of his clothes, and blessed him and said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Now keep in mind, Isaac knows God prophesied that the older would serve the younger. So he's just as bad as Rebecca on the other side. Both of them knew the prophecy. Now, God is going to end up doing what he's doing, but who are they messing up? God? No, themselves. Themselves. Look at 27 through 29. Isaac pronounces the blessing of inheritance to Jacob. Therefore, my God will give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you. And nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren. And let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you. And blessed be those who bless you. Wow. He gives them the blessing. Now, it's not effective because he just gives it. But he is a patriarch. He is the head. He's the father. He gives it. He can't take it back. But God had already said that was it, right? But, but they've done it in the wrong way. Rebecca became a bad example of trusting um, herself. She wasn't trusting God's word. She thought that God has to be wrong here. Who is she? She's one of the patriarchs. This is real life. You and your marriage can say, you know, I think God made a mistake here. Really? And you're wrong. Rebecca knew that God was and had prophesied about Jacob being the heir back in 25, 23, as we've noted. The nation of Israel, 
and through Jacob. Rebecca dishonored her husband by the deceiving him, as we've noted from verse 5 through 12 of 27. And in verse 13 of 27, Rebecca and her zeal became self-will and ambitious, dishonoring God. Listen to the words again. Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice. Wow. So dead said, and what she wants, she doesn't see two feet in front of her. She would never see Jacob again when he flees to Uncle Laban's house. She dies while he's gone. We will never know how God would have accomplished it the other way. Did it thwart the purpose of God? No. What did it do? It brought hardship to their lives that they never had to go through. Esau returned from verse 30 to 40 and um, Isaac trembled exceedingly and Esau cried out with great bitterness. Bless me, my father. Do you only have one blessing? Yes. And what he pronounces is not a blessing but a cursing, the one who would serve the younger. But that's what God said all along. They cry for themselves because they didn't want the will of God. Who are these guys? Isaac and Rebecca. Wow. Rebecca became a bad example of avoiding future heartaches and pain. Rebecca had to plot one more time to protect Jacob from Esau's threat of killing him at this point. As soon as Isaac died, Esau said he was going to kill Jacob. So she's got to get him off to Uncle Laban's house, which she's got to go through the University of Uncle Laban. He's much worse than Rebecca. <laughs> she thought his anger would pass in a couple of days. Chapter 27, 41 through 45, not knowing again the difficulty that, would, that he would endure for 20 years. He would be deceived in many ways not knowing that she would never see him again, as I said. Now, Rebecca expressed to Isaac her fear regarding her life if Jacob married pagan women of the land. So she got Isaac to send Jacob off with his blessing in chapter 28, verse 1 through 5. In verse 1, then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him. And said to him, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Now Esau heard this and everything else. It infuriated him even more. And so he married the daughters of Ishmael. Another one which is not called. It was an Isaac, not Ishmael, right? Flesh begets flesh. Flesh attracts flesh. Rats eat rats when they start multiplying. Okay? Real simple. The favoritism and plotting destroyed the entire family. Jacob would reap to what he had sown for 20 years as he met a more cunning adversary, Uncle Laban, surpassing his mother. At times, couples will reap to the flesh they've sown for many years in their life. But you only have to remain under that if you want to. 
the minute you recognize and ask God for forgiveness and you walk in the Spirit, God will bless you. So it's really up to us how long we want to stay miserable. The psalm says they limited God in the wilderness. God did not limit himself. He wanted to do so much more. But be careful of that flesh that attracts you. That thing that you think you have control of a hold of. I, 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 I'm in control. You, you think you're in control. If you stay home, ladies, your children will be blessed by you pouring 40,000 hours into their lives. 40,000 hours from age birth to 18. Pouring your morals, your Christian worldview. If you don't, then you pour 4,000 in. There's a big difference. Now you can stay home and be doing a worse job than someone who works. The thing is of being a Christian and taking advantage of those opportunities. Children are like wet cement. Some of you guys work mud. You know it gets there. You got to get it off, right? Once it's down, you better tamp it. You better fresno it and start working it because once it sets up, might as well drop your trawls, break it out the next day. Nothing you can do. Children are just like that. They're wet cement. You only have a certain amount of time to mold and shape them. Of those 18 years, a third they sleep. A third they're in some form of institution, hopefully educational. That leaves you with six. The first three infants. Three years, ladies, is what you have to pour into your children out of 18. Shocking, isn't it? Absolutely shocking. Mothers, uh, Rebecca teaches us that being manipulative and deceptive against our husbands doesn't edify a home. It destroys it. Be it for yourself, your children, your friends, it doesn't make any difference in the motive. Better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than the house shared with a contentious woman. Proverbs 21.9. And it goes flip side on the other side with a man. Mother Rebecca warns us against involving our children in sinful ways or scheming against your husband, causing them to sin. You will bring great guilt on them, frustration and anger. Whatsoever man sows, I shall also reap. Galatians 5, 7 through Six or six, seven or six, eight. We have to be careful. It's ever present, our sin nature. Mothers, your example of trusting God's word rather than taking matters into your own hands is very important to your children. Their perception of you. They will um, learn to fear God or use God by your influence. They will learn the Bible lessons for life rather than just learning Bible stories. They will view marriage as being honorable and loyal rather than manipulative and just self-serving. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. Proverbs 14.1 Mothers, you do not want to live a life of regret when you can be pleasing God as imperfect as we are 
If we keep checking and obeying God on the checkpoints, God will take care of all that. No one's perfect. We all could wish we could go back. We can. So we want to make sure that we're walking with God. No one can do anything over. Um, it's just important that we walk with God. You stay in the church. You stay in prayer. You stay in fellowship. And more so because um, I come from a Mexican background, and Mexican families and Italian families and a lot of you Filipino families, the, the family love is manipulated. And they pressure the point on you, and it's an abuse of family love for the son and daughter. And so if the son and daughter end up doing what the parents want to do, they're happy, but you're miserable. Be careful. You follow the principles of Scripture. You obey God. You don't allow your mom and dad or anybody else to lead you to sin or be part of sin. Are we clear on that? Very important. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Proverbs thirty-one twenty-eight. What a delight. <laughs> Ladies, you are a blessing, a total blessing. Rebecca, the mother, though chosen by God in her self-will, hurt her home. And so these are the three lenses that give us some nuggets as a warning to us, as a teaching to us. Rebecca, the bride, was chosen by God. Um, Rebecca, the wife, though chosen by God, directed her own life. And Rebecca, the mother, Though chosen by God in her self-will, hurt her home. We want to learn these lessons. Don't want to repeat them. We don't have to. Happy Mother's Day, ladies. The Lord truly has blessed us with godly women in this place. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your grace and love. We lift the ladies to you, Lord. You give them a great day. Help us to just express our love and appreciation. And Lord... That the children would recognize that, Lord, as we're there for them always. As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved. Call on his name right now. He will save you and forgive you of your sins. It's a simple prayer of repentance. If you don't know Jesus Christ, whether you're here or over the Internet, you can call upon his name right now. This is your prayer to him. Father... I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.